to Burning Tree Ministry. We are glad that you are here today. Um, before we get into the message today, um, we want to make another call for VBS volunteers. It is that time of the year. Uh, we want to say thank you to everybody who signed up. Thank you so much um, for signing away your summer to us. Yeah. How generous of you. We basically have taken your entire summer. No, I'm just lying. I'm just kidding. We're just taking your Saturdays in June. Um, but we need more volunteers, okay? Uh, we, we have about 50 right now, which is awesome, except they want like 100. So if you have a couple Saturdays in June that you can give up to pour into the lives of children, we could really use your help. This summer, you can sign up at our welcoming table, and we will pretty much be repeating this announcement ad nauseum. You will hear it all the time. Amen. Okay. Today, I'm going to take a little bit of a break from our Seven Mountain series because it is a very special day. Today is Mother's Day. Oh, shoot. Mother's Day. I love that our that we sell we have a day to celebrate mothers. That's a very good thing, you know. That might not always be there. So let's be thankful for these holidays that were inspired by the Spirit of God. While they still last in America, we pray that they would we would have more. You turn back the tide, God. Amen. Um, but today is such an awesome day that we get to honor um, our mothers. And so I, I, I wanted to, to, to do that with our message today. Is that okay? I know some of you guys were looking for, really looking forward to Seven Mountains, still Pastor Kevin. Um, but we're going to talk about Mother's Day. Before we get into it, um, I do want to give a very short news segment because I don't know if you guys realize this, but we are having like some incredible news days here these past couple weeks. I don't know if you realize this, the North Korea thing um, was a, uh, a complete change. It was a huge breakthrough, potentially. Like we don't know for sure if um, Kim Jong-un is going to follow through on some of his commitments. But man, if he does, it is a it is a miracle. That's what it is. It's a miraculous breakthrough um, because we had a potential nuclear war on our hands and no one knew what to do about it. Right. There was no good solutions. Um, so we have a potential breakthrough in, in North Korea. And if you were following the news this past week, um, President Trump just pulled out of the Iran deal. This is a, also a very, very big deal. OK, now. Very clearly, the country is divided on this, all right? I'm, as usual, going to give you the conservative perspective. Uh, you are welcome to uh, investigate the, the more progressive side of the aisle. That's fine. By the way, let me be really clear about this. You can be a Democrat and be an amazing lover of Jesus, okay? Can we be clear about this? All right? It is not my heart to make anybody feel offended or rejected because of their political leanings. I mean, at the same time, I do feel burdened to try and impart some wisdom in this area because I know that for many of us, we hear a lot from the, the Democratic side. Um, just because in, in, in America today, if you're young, that's the side you're going to be hearing from constantly, right? So I want to give you a little bit of the other side, and I hope you will consider my wisdom. But it's totally okay if you disagree with me. Amen. So um, this past week, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the, who's the prime minister of Israel, he released... Um, a bunch of intelligence that the in, uh, the Israeli um, intelligence service had gotten from Iran. 
And um, he, the, he had, you know, thousands of documents that they released that basically showed that Iran was still pursuing nuclear missile technology, um, even though they really weren't supposed to be doing that. Now, the, you know, it, it was kind of, it, like everybody guessed they were probably still doing this, okay? Everybody had a feeling that Iran was doing this, but here we kind of had, you know, really explicit evidence. It was really obvious, and more than that, you know, um, Obama's strategy, if, you, if you're not familiar with how this works, um, on the left, it's very conciliatory, right? It's very much, let's try and work together, let's try and compromise, let's, let's hope that the better angels of all of us prevail and we can live together in peace and harmony, okay? Now, that's a beautiful dream, okay? That's just beautiful. I wish it worked like that. Right? I wish life worked like that, except that it doesn't. Okay, that This is the more conservative side now. The more conservative side is, look, yes, we wish everybody would, would act nice and cooperate and everything. The problem is that we have people who are dead set on doing very evil things. And because of that, God has blessed us with the big stick in America. Right, so we feel like it's better for the world if we use the stick. And I'm, I'm all about that stick. All right. Now, I don't think we should go whacking nations just because we feel like it or anything like that. But I do think that it's wise to understand that there are going to be nations that we have to keep in line. And if I could be blunt, Iran is the definition of that kind of nation. Okay, this is the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Everybody knows they're sponsoring terrorism. Okay, everyone knows what Obama did was he basically gave them one point seven billion dollars, I believe, in cash. The reason it's in cash, by the way, is so that they can't it can't be traced. Right. That's the purpose of paying them off in cash. And and guess what? Iran's military budget, you know, rose 40 percent. And all of a sudden, all of these terrorists started to have a lot more money. Isn't that a strange coincidence? Right. So it, it was. It, it was a bad deal. I think it was a bad deal. And I think what it did was it paved the way for Iran to get a nuclear weapon in 10, maybe 15 years. And what we basically did was we pulled out of it and we said, hey, no, we're going back to a more a hard stance. We're reimposing sanctions. And we're saying, look, you cannot, we will not allow you to have a nuclear weapon. I think that is wisdom. I think that is wisdom. I think it does raise the probability of war in the region. But the reality is, look, you know, we had an opportunity to keep North Korea from getting nuclear weapons back in the 90s. I know this is when you guys were wee, wee little lads, okay? But back then, okay, President Clinton had the option to lay down the line with North Korea or not. And, and now that was a really tricky situation, as we talked about last week, because North Korea has a lot of big artillery guns, and they're pointed right at your grandparents if they're living in Seoul right now, right? So is very dangerous situation. Um, Iran doesn't have that kind of leverage, right? So I think it was wise for us to step up, get out of this deal, and basically take a much stronger stance against Iran. Iran is, is now, you know, a, a very strong regional power all throughout the Middle East. And what we're seeing is all the other Middle Eastern nations, you know, they were actually happy that we pulled out of the deal. Saudi Arabia was happy. I believe Egypt was happy. Israel was very, very, very happy, right? Why? Because they're all scared of Iranian power in the region right now. Okay, Iraq used to be a check against that, uh, but now Iraq's power is much diminished, and so people are scared of a resurgent Iran in the region. Okay, that was a lot of geopolitics, wasn't it? I hope you got the gist of that. I'll just say this, that I'm, I'm glad that President um, Trump, man, that guy, he just is not intimidated. And look, for all, his, for all his problems, I always say this, right? 
I would kick Trump out of our church, okay? I do not believe he's a moral man. I'm sure he did sleep with Stormy Daniels and a lot of other women, okay? I do not believe he's a moral person, but he does have some incredible strengths, okay? And one of them is that he is not easily intimidated, and I appreciate that in our president, okay? All right. You guys ready to actually talk about the Bible? Amen. Okay. So today, we are talking about mothers, and just in the way of introduction, I want to say this, that we as people are not generally good judges of greatness, okay? We as people are generally speaking not very good judges of greatness. And what do I mean that? I, I mean that we tend to be very impressed by things that do not impress God, right? We tend to be pretty impressed with certain kinds of people. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that just happen to be really good looking, right? We tend to get impressed by that. We tend to get impressed by people who are kind of rich and kind of powerful and eloquent and articulate. I know my wife was very impressed with all of these things, right? We get impressed by a lot of things that look good on the outside, and yet Scripture tells us, it tells us that God's actually not so impressed by these things, okay? Now, this is a big deal because what are the things, well, that Scripture is actually impressed by? I think that that's one of the reasons why we should really study the Bible because the Bible gives us a glimpse of the things that God is really impressed by. And that's a big deal because guess what? It's going to be God with the big stick at the end of the age, right? Judging all of us. So we want to do the things that impress him. And we just did an entire series that I hope you still remember, right, on the thing that really impresses God, which is, oh, praise Jesus. Praise him. Yes. Yes, faith is incredibly pleasing to God. It's something that impresses him, right? But what we want to do is I want to look at another thing today that really impresses God. And it starts by looking at a couple of the most impressive people in the Bible, okay? Now, if you are a Christian, the person that you think is the most impressive person in the whole Bible is Jesus, right? Yeah, right? Now, if you're a Jew, if you don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, but you've been studying the Old Testament for thousands of years, right, the person that you are most impressed with in the Bible is Moses. Yeah, good Bible students, right? Moses and Jesus are the most revered people in the scriptures, and for good reason, right? Jesus did some pretty impressive things. Right? He healed everyone, he raised the dead, and then he himself got raised from the dead. Pretty impressive, Jesus, pretty impressive. Okay? Moses, too, had a very impressive story, right? I would like to have Moses' resume, right? Made the sun go black, turned the Nile to blood, right? That's pretty impressive. He did some amazing things. We saw God move powerfully through his life. Very, very impressive, Moses and Jesus. But what I want to point out today is that their stories are not all about these outwardly impressive things. In fact, there are some people that are so incredibly important 
to the stories of Jesus and Moses. And oftentimes they get totally glossed over. They get like a verse in scripture and then they're done. Right. And for us, it's easy to skip right over their parts of the story and get right to the good stuff. And we go, Jesus, yeah, I want to be just like Jesus. But the reality is that scripture gives us a glimpse into some stuff here with their stories that are really, really amazing. And the principle that I want to give is that Jesus is impressed by some people that we may not be so impressed by. Okay? Jesus is impressed by them. Okay? In Matthew 19.30, this is um, the parable of the rich young ruler. Okay? By the way, if you don't know, if you haven't heard me speak off here, I talk about this all the time. Everyone I talk to, right, is always oh, rich young ruler. I've been fascinated with this story for months. I just feel like the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about this rich guy who doesn't, he wants to follow Jesus, but he won't lay down his idol of wealth, right? And at the very end of this parable, Jesus ends the whole thing with this. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, okay? And this is getting to this very dynamic that we're talking about, that many of the people that we're so impressed by, in the age to come, they're going to be last, and many of the people that were last in this age, the ones that we never would have thought were very special at all, I don't want to be like that person. That person is boring. But God's looking at that person and going, that person is amazing, right? And some of those people are going to be first in the age to come. And I want us to take a look at this. So I want to start with Moses' story, okay? And I'm just going to summarize this a little bit. You know where the story of Moses starts? It starts with a pharaoh who does not remember Joseph, right? You guys saw Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments is so much better than Prince of Egypt. You guys didn't see Ten Commandments, huh? Oh, dude, you gotta watch Ten Commandments. Oh, it's so good. I'm telling you, the sets, the movie sets are amazing. It is worth your time. Who's, who's watched Ten Commandments back in the day? Y- right? Right? Yes. Where's, where's Hope? Hope also? Ten Commandments? Don't tell me you didn't see it, Miss Film Major. Don't tell him. <laughs> Anyways, the, the story of Moses starts with a pharaoh who forgets Joseph, starts to persecute his descendants, and then he's so worried that the Israelites are getting out of control, right? They're having too many babies, right? They're going, they're going to take us over one day. They're going to revolt, all this kind of stuff. So what does he do? He orders that every male child be killed, right? He orders every male child be killed, and someone steps up. Somebody defies the Pharaoh. You know what their names are? If you know their names, call it out. Go. Oh, who's, whoa. Ah. Someone said something there. What was it? Oh, my gosh. Pin a medal on her. Come, you preach this today. I had no idea what their name was before this study. Wow. Amazing. What we have are we have two Hebrew midwives, right? These midwives, I forgot their names already. I can't remember. What, okay, two Hebrew midwives, and they refuse to follow the order of Pharaoh. They refuse to obey him, and they make up this lie, right? They make up the lie that, oh, no, these Hebrew women, they're crazy. They're like animals, right? They just have it before the midwives can come, and they make up this lie, right? And Pharaoh, I bet he's like, really, really? But... He God, it says God blesses them, right, because they defied Pharaoh. 
And guess what? There's another incredible person that defies Pharaoh. Moses' mom, right? Moses' mom says that she looks at the child, and in some translations it says he sees that he's beautiful. Some translations sees that he's fine. Interesting. Okay. And because of that, she hides the baby for three months. And when she can no longer hide him, what does she do? You guys know the story. She puts him in the Nile, right? The story of Moses starts with an incredible act of courage from three women who everyone but Jennifer, we don't know her names, right? We don't know their names, right? But there would be no story of Moses without this incredible act of courage by ordinary people. That's where the story begins. And guess what? Jesus has kind of a similar situation, right? Jesus is in a a similar situation. We all like to start it, you know, when Jesus is is glorious, but actually the story of Jesus starts when he's just a thought in God's mind, right? And what happens? God finds some people that impress him, right? He he starts, he finds this in Luke chapter 1. He starts and he finds a woman named Elizabeth, right, and her husband, Zechariah, and he says, and he sends the angel Gabriel to say, you're going to have an amazing, a very special child, right, why, because you found favor with the Lord, they've been found righteous, and it says they were blameless, and then God found another woman, we know her name, her name is Mary, and he says, don't be afraid, you found favor with God, and you have these incredible stories of these women who found incredible favor with God, and the one I love the most. We're actually going to read this one because she's the bomb. This is from Luke chapter 2, verse 36. It says this, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Can I just tell you, this woman got favor. I don't think any of us look at Anna's life and we're like, God, give me the life of Anna. Right? We pray the other prayer. Not that life, God. Anyone but that one. Right? She got married, and she only got to enjoy her marriage for seven years. And then her husband passes, and now she's 84. And the vast majority of her life, she's spent in the temple fasting and praying. This is a woman of incredible faith. Look, I talk a lot about fasting and praying. I hate fasting and praying. Okay? I'm terrible at fasting. Okay? Sorry to reveal my secret sins here, okay? I hate fasting. It's terrible. I always, I, like, you know, Lou Engel always talks about this too, that he's like, he sees that donut box. I'm the same way. I have the same stronghold in my life, right? I just sometimes get cravings for donuts. It's killed a number of fasts <laughs> over the years. It's killed a number of fasts over the years. But this woman, think about this woman. Look, you have to understand, especially in this culture, in this culture, without a husband, it was like a nightmare. It was like a nightmare living in this culture without a husband, right? But this woman, what she did was she set her hope on God, and she comforted herself in the Lord for how many years? We don't know exactly, but for decades, she was in the temple fasting 
and praying. And verse 38 says, coming up to them, speaking of um, Jesus' parents, at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay. What we have is we have a number of characters here. Okay, All of these characters are not impressive. None of you guys would look at them, God, I want to be like that person, right? None of us would be that, right? We look at the impressive people, the guys who are big and strong and doing impressive things, and yet I want to make an argument today that these people that we gloss over all the time, in God's economy, these are some of those who will be first in the age to come. How do we know this? In Luke chapter 4, verse 37, let me set up the context Jesus sends out his disciples, right? And they go around all Israel, and they have power. You guys know this story? They're able to cast out demons. They heal the sick, and they come back, and they're like, Jesus, we're the bomb. Even the devils obey us. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a second, dude, right? Wait a second. And he says this really interesting thing here. He says, the one, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Think about that for a second. They're impressed with themselves. They're like, man, my ministry is fruitful. They're like, dude, I'm doing so much good for God. And Jesus is like, hold your horses, buddy. I know you think you're very impressive, but that's because you're blind. You don't see the ones who sowed for decades. You don't see, you didn't see Anna sowing in the place of prayer and fasting for decades who sowed the spiritual seed that you're now reaping. Does this make sense? Brothers and sisters, this is an important word for us because I tell you that we are in a John the Baptist season right now. I say this all the time, but we are in the midst of the greatest prayer movement in the history of the world. The Moravians had one prayer meeting 24-7 for 100 years. You go to Germany, this little town in Germany, you can see the place where the grooves in the cement of this room where all these people laid down and knelt before God because they had one prayer meeting, a hundred-year prayer meeting that launched the modern Protestant missions movement. I tell you right now, we have dozens of 24-7 prayer houses all over the world. I told you I went to Dallas. They have houses of prayer. They had 35 houses of prayer in Dallas. Now, they weren't all 24-7. I don't know if any of them were. That's really difficult to do, by the way. But I will say this. I think we're right in the midst of the greatest prayer movement ever. And we're longing for revival, for God to move in an amazing way, for him to turn back the nation, for God to do everything. And you know what? I think about this all the time. I'm like, God, come on. How much more prayer do we need here? Like, when's the outpouring? When's the glory? When do we get to reap for everything that's being sowed? But the reality is, brothers and sisters, in God's eyes, it's more glorious to believe even if you don't see the fruit of it. Right? This is exactly what he told to Thomas. If you guys remember, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, Thomas came and said, I'm not going to believe it, he rose from the dead unless I feel the holes in his hands. 
And Thomas goes and he feels the holes in his hands. And then Jesus, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. What is Jesus doing? He's revealing a principle in the kingdom, right? That when it takes greater trust because we don't see the fruit of what we're sowing in God's eyes, that's far more worthy of praise. Does this make sense? We get impressed by those ministries that have like thousands of people. We're like, oh man, those guys are awesome. You know what I think God gets impressed by? I think he gets impressed by the person that's going to a terrible church, right? Person that's going to a terrible church, but this person is laboring in the place of prayer, seemingly by themselves. They feel like they're alone. They feel like God's not listening to them. But because they believe they have hope, they're praying for something that they can only barely see in their minds. Am I making sense? I think God looks at that and he goes, awesome prayer. I hope he does because, man, I've done a lot of those prayers. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us. God's way of seeing things is so different from ours. And I want to encourage all, I, I know many of you, you're like trying to pray for your campuses, but you're like, God, it's so hard. I don't feel any hard for my campus, right? But you're like, God, I'm trying to be faithful. I want to say, good job. Good job. I know it's not easy. I know what it's like going out, trying to evangelize, and getting everybody who you try to evangelize to reject you. I hate that. I know what it's like. But I think there's something that's glorious in the eyes of God, right? When we're doing it in a spirit of faith and perseverance. Faith and perseverance. I think there's something impressive here, okay? Now, the second aspect, if you'll notice, I just called out a bunch of women. A lot of times we look at scripture and we go, God, how is it fair that wives have to submit to husbands? Or Jesus, why did you only take on male disciples? Or God, why did you say in Timothy that women should be quiet in the church? I've wrestled with all these passages, right? I've wrestled with all of them. Because here's what I know. Women, can I be blunt? I, women I know can be amazing leaders. I've seen it. I've seen women leaders who are far better than me, who are far more qualified than me. I've seen it in my life. I've seen how some wives are more mature than their husbands. I've seen it at times. I've seen these things. And I think the temptation for all of us to go, God, that's not fair. But here's what I need to tell you, brothers and sisters, today. Whatever is not fair in this life, God is going to compensate in the age to come. There's a, there's a prophet who had a visitation where he went um, into heaven. He saw all these people in heaven. I don't know if you guys have read this. And what he said was that those who are the most glorious in the age to come, there were so many women in this group. There was mostly women and children. Right? Because why? Because they had been faithful with what God had given them. And that's an enduring image that has stayed in my heart. And see, there's something that oftentimes I think can be difficult for us because we live in a culture that glorifies external things. There's this incredible pressure for you today. Those of you who are sisters in this room, I know that there's an incredible pressure for you to become an amazing working professional, to become doctors and lawyers, because these are the things that God esteems. It doesn't seem so honorable to be a mom. 
Like, that's what you do if you can't make it as a doctor, right? You, I'm just a mom. Right? I think that that kind of mentality exists in our culture. I was reading an article the other day, and this guy, I don't, I don't, remember, I don't know if the, the author was a girl or a guy, but this guy was bashing this girl for having seven babies. It was all about why, how, could, how selfish is it of you to have seven babies on this earth where we're running out of resources? It makes me mad. I had a little Facebook discussion this week with a guy who thought we were running out of resources. We're not running out of resources. Okay? We ain't even close to running out of resources. That's all a lie. Okay, here's the truth. Having babies is glorious. And, and can I tell you, it's not easy. Uh, it is harder to be a mother of a large family than it is to be a lawyer or a doctor. I'm not saying, like, just be a mother. You could just stand there and, you know. But to do it well? Oh, it's far harder. Kids are crazy, okay? And they're not just crazy, but you actually have to disciple them in the ways of the Lord. Look, if I always struggle all the time with all of my weaknesses in ministry. I'm always, God, help me be a better pastor, right? Help me be a better leader. Help me disciple people well. Help me know how to... But I'll tell you, I struggle way more with being a great father. It's way harder. It's way harder. Because, look, you guys are influenced by lots of different things. Right? You got your own parents influencing you. You got, you know, your studies. You got other people in your life. Like, it's not all my fault. (laughs) But my kids, I feel like it's all my fault. Everything wrong with them feels like it's my fault. Right, there's something where there's such a, a clear responsibility that I have to them that I always am feeling like, God, help me, Lord, help me love them. You've got to change my heart. God, you've got to do something because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. In fact, as a parent, all of your weaknesses get exposed. Here, you guys just most of you, you just see my strengths, right? You just see my strengths. You don't, you know. I don't think I've, like, punched any one of you or anything crazy like that, right? Like, but my kids, right? Sometimes, I'm not abusive, I'm not abusive, I swear. Okay, but sometimes you just want to, right? Sometimes, I'm not saying I actually do it, right? But sometimes I really want to, right? Sometimes I say things before I really think them through. I repent to my kids all the time, right? I, I apologize to them because I, I do things that I'm not supposed to do. Why? Because being a father is the hardest job in the world. And I want to say this. Being a mother is an, an incredible, glorious job. There's an attack in our culture. Okay? There's an attack to demean the value of motherhood in our culture. We go, oh, my mom is, you know, she's, she owned all these companies, or she's, like, really impressive. And people are like, whoa, that's awesome, right? Oh, my mom, she's just a housewife. and No, she was a mother. She was a mother. Am I making sense? Look, I'm not saying that just the fact of being a mother makes you glorious, although I think there's a degree of that, right? But I'm saying it's something impressive to God to be somebody who lays down their life 
for somebody else. Do you understand? That's the thing that scripture is talking about. Jesus says, what is the most glorious thing? He tells his disciples, you know, the lords of the Gentiles, they lord over each other. They boss them around. But it's not to be like that with you. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you will be your servant. Right? That's what he says. The one who empties himself of all his selfish ambition and decides, I'm going to live my life to make this person great. That's a servant. You know what the clearest picture of that is in our culture? That's right. Moms. Your mom. The one who drove you around to soccer practice and whatnot. My mom drove me around to soccer practice all the time. The one who laid down her ambitions and her dreams and said, I want you to be great. The one who fasted and prayed. The one who gave herself so that I could be great. You have to understand, in God's economy, I'm pretty sure my mother is far greater than I am at this point. Lord, let me become even a greater servant than my mother. I don't say that, you know, I'm not trying to really compete with her, but I compete with everybody, okay? It's in my DNA. It's just how it works, okay? But you have to understand, from God's economy, that's what greatness looks like. It looks like emptying ourselves of all the things, the dreams that we have for us and start to develop dreams for other people. Can I say that's not an easy process? Look, as a parent, there's a reason why you have to go through the, the season when they're super cute, right? Because they're so crazy when they're that cute, right? They're crazy, and you're having to wake up at ridiculous times of the night. And by the way, I'm talking about my wife right now, okay? I sleep through the night. I snore, so she kicked me in the other room. And she sleeps with the baby, and she wakes up all the time. I get to sleep every night, but my wife wakes up sometimes six, seven, eight times a night because the baby's crazy. Right? And she pours out her life to this little child. You understand, from God, in God's economy, this is greatness. And there's a period where, as young parents, you need to have the craziness. You know what happens? You have such lack of sleep. It's so surreal when you first have a baby. It's like you feel like you're like sleepwalking. Because you have like, it, it's so different, right? It's so different. All of a sudden, whether you like it or not, your life revolves around that person now, right? It's like just getting them to nap is like, you'd be surprised how much of your thought goes into just hoping that they'll nap right, right? And you have to undergo this metamorphosis as a person where you realize I've got to prioritize them rather than all the things I wanted to do. I just wanted to watch that season of Netflix, Lord, right? But I can't. I've got to prioritize this little person. And you go through this, this excruciating for your flesh experience where you die to yourself and you transfer your dreams over to them. See, in the, in the Christian walk, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what greatness is. You know the ironic thing about that story when the disciples are fighting, right? And Jesus is like, you know, the greatest will be your servant. You know the ironic thing about this story? You know how it all starts? It starts because the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, let my son sit at your right hand on your left. Right? You know the one who never gets talked about in this story? Mom. Who's the one acting like the servant in this story? Right? 
the mom. She's not thinking, like, see, if I were her, I'd be like, let's chase the needy first and then let my kids be right under us. Right? But the mom doesn't ask anything for herself. She asks for her sons that they would be great. You have to understand, I, it's the mother. Think about it. Why did her two sons are two of the disciples? Can you understand? This mother must have been some incredible kind of woman. Her two sons are two of the disciples, the rule over two of the tribes of Israel for eternity. Because this mom is amazing. Brothers and sisters, I say this to us today because the reality is it's easy to look at all the flaws of our mothers. Look, the reality is this. Our parents give us our issues. Right? Our issues come from our parents. As my friend used to say, our parents know how to p- press our buttons because they gave it to us. Right? They gave us those buttons. So I get it. I get it. It's difficult to see how glorious your parents are. It's difficult. It's difficult to admit that from God's point of view, your parents are probably, not in all cases obviously, but in many ways are more glorious than you are. Because they're the ones embodying the call to be a servant. And this is why having children is so underrated in our culture. Right? Fewer and fewer people are having children these days. I don't know what the rate is. Like if we're not talking, if we're not counting Hispanics, right? It's just like super low. Super low in our culture. Right? And all throughout, you know, Europe, it's super low. Why? Because we start losing the value and the glory of motherhood and fatherhood. We start dishonoring those things. We say, hey, you know, it would be really awesome, actually, if you worked and I worked and we could buy a much bigger house. And what you do is you trade your potential children and your character and your glorious servant heart. You trade it for a bigger house and a car. Am I making sense? This is the culture that we live in. Brothers and sisters, my desire for you is that you would be able to see how glorious, how amazing it is the way that your parents love you. As imperfect as it is, with all of its flaws and problems, and I, we all, every single one of our parents has major flaws and issues. That's not, de- that's not debatable here, right? But we are, what we are saying is that we're to give honor where it's due. We're to give honor where it's due. Why? Because if you do, you receive an inheritance. Right? You receive an inheritance. And it's inheritance that our nation needs so badly right now. Our nation needs the hearts of the children to turn to the hearts of the fathers so that there'll be the healing in the land. It's so important. And the way that we do that is by choosing to forgive our parents for the sins that they commit against us. Because Jesus forgave us far more. And if we do that, what happens is we receive a blessing. The promise, it will go well with us. We'll have long life on the earth. Now, there's a lot to that. I don't want to take the time to totally unpack all of what that means. But I want to say this. There's a real tangible blessing, not just for you, But you see, it's for the nation. It's for the entire nation. 
We need a generation that can demonstrate godly submission. See, God, godly submission is not, I hate you, but I'll do it because Jesus says so. That's not godly submission. That's, it might start looking like that, right? But the way it looks is, I love you so much, mom and dad. I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Even with all of your problems, even all the times you sinned against me, all the times you neglected me, all of that I've forgiven and I've left it behind. And I've decided that I'm going to honor you and I'm going to love you and God's going to give me grace. And you know what happens? You receive an inheritance from the Father. You receive a generational transfer of blessing and wisdom. And I'll tell you, man, you get a whole new appreciation for your parents when you start having kids. You need them. You need them to help take care of those little crazy rugrats. I love my kids, by the way. I love all my children. They're amazing. But brothers and sisters, we talk a lot about all the things that we do for righteousness, right? The prayer meetings, the evangelism, the loving people, the serving them. I tell you that there are few things that you can do to grow in character and to become like Jesus than to love your parents well. When you do that, there's a huge release of blessing in your life. Scriptures are full of this. Worship team, would you come up right now?